We're going to go ahead in Luke chapter 15, verse number 11, a very familiar story, but we're going to go ahead and read from 11 to 24, so I want you to focus on it. Don't daydream during the reading. I know how it is. I work with teenagers for the last few years. Uh, When the Bible's getting read, they just zone out, and you could probably attest that that's what happens sometimes. When the Bible gets read, you just kind of zone out, but don't do that. Focus. Pay attention to what we got today. Verse number 11, it says, of course, Jesus is telling this parable. He says, and and he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I have, sinned, uh, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe. And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Let's pray, and we'll look at this passage just for a few moments. Lord, we're thankful for the privilege to be in your house again today. Thank you that we're not in a state that has put restrictions on what we can and can't do. And we thank you for this privilege. We know that the authority comes from you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a story we know as the prodigal son. But this is also a story of many wayward Christians who have lost their way. It's actually a story of probably many people in this room who at one point in their life had made the choice that God wasn't enough for them, that God was not sufficient for them. They needed something more. Maybe some of you in here have spent your life running from God, running from the Father, but you have made the full circle and you have come back. I don't know everybody's stories in here, but I know a few. And this is definitely the story of maybe some people in this room. This is a story of great men of God that have departed from the faith for their lust of their own flesh. I think of many preachers that come to my mind that went off the path. I think everybody in here knows some preachers that have failed. I think everybody in here knows people who are completely out of the will of God, whether they're preachers or whether they're not. A few years ago, Pastor Lytell, myself, and Pastor Moon, uh, we were eating lunch, and those guys, they love to eat lunch, and we were over at First Watch, And 
we were over there, and we had one waiter, and we began to talk to him, and he asked us uh, what we did. We had been there a few times, and we said, oh, yeah, we're all three preachers. And he said, oh, yeah, I used to be a preacher. You know, I've heard that a lot. I used to be a preacher. He's like, I was a pastor of a church. And he didn't go into great detail about what happened, but he obviously, we, we could obviously tell by the conversation that he was, had fallen out of the ministry. And he said, yep, I'm on a sabbatical. And so the preacher of God is now working at First Watch. There's nothing wrong with working at First Watch. But for a God-called man, it's a shame to be working at First Watch. Whether you're a God-called preacher, or how about this, whatever God calls you to do, if you're not doing that, it's a shame. And are you? We had the privilege many months ago to, be, to drive down to St. Matthew's house down in Naples and pick up some of the folks that stay there. And many of those people, they're recovering addicts, homeless people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. One week, it was my opportunity to go down, and so I drove the ice cream van down. If you want to be humble, drive the ice cream van. <laughs> drive the ice cream van. It's, by the way, if I pause here, I get to pick up preachers from the airport and everything, and you really get to know who's humble and who's not when you pull up to the ice cream van and say, that's your ride for the week. Anyway, I'm leaving it there. Back on, back on the story here. So I'm, I, I go down there to Naples to pick up these, you know, three or four people that are going to come. They get in a van, and there's a new guy. I never met him before. He's young. He's about my age. We begin talking, and he was just a chatterbox. Started chatting me up. And he said, oh, I asked him if he went to church. He said, oh, yeah, I'm going to this church over here, and it's been really good to get back in church. And he gave me this, his basically an abbreviated testimony. He told me that God had called him at one point in his younger life to be a youth director. And he did not know that I'm sitting right next to him. And at that point in time, I was a youth director here. And I told him, I said, yeah. I said, yep. I said, well, I've been the youth director here about four years. And he said, yep, I've made a whole lot of bad choices and a whole lot of bad mistakes. And he was regretting the choices that he had made. And I'm no better than that man was, because only by the grace of God that I'm here, and he's not. Only by the grace of God that I haven't fall susceptible to the things that he has. But I thought it was interesting, someone sitting in one seat that followed God, one that chose to go after some other things and go down the wrong path. It's a story of many people who have done what they want to do instead of what God wanted them to do. How does this happen? God's not enough. God's not sufficient for them. This is the story right here of the prodigal son. Well, how does it start? How does that preacher get to the place where he rejects the ministry God has called him to now doing something of lesser value only because it's not God's will for him? How does that even happen? Well, number one, we're going to look in verse 12. We dream about the world. Verse number 12 says, of course, we know this man, he had two sons. And it says, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give to me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And of course, he divided unto them his living. This young son, he was dreaming about the world. 
I think at this point in time, this son was a little bit older. He may have been around my age. I don't know if, I don't believe he was 13, 14, 15, 16. I think this was somewhat of a young man. And he was at the point where he was starting to make decisions for himself. So for quite some time, this young boy had been looking over the fence at what the world had to offer. Hope you realize that this didn't happen overnight. This was a long time coming. Sometimes some of the young people, maybe that are in our midst, they go off and it seems like they fall right off the deep end. That was a long time coming. That was something that happened quite some time before. I'm sure he saw the lifestyles of the wicked. I'm sure that his father had many servants and maybe he overheard the servants talking sometimes about the wild times they used to have at the other places that were around town in the surrounding cities. And it began to churn in his mind and he dreamed about what that would be like. I'm sure he was intrigued by the fun stories and the, and the livelihood of the people that live that kind of, that kind of life. It's like the neighbors. You're packing up to go to church, and what are they doing? They're packing up their boat, putting the stuff in there, getting ready to take off for the weekend. And you say, man, I wonder what that would be like. It's you're over in your house, 8, 30, 9 o'clock, and you're having a little devotion, and you hear a little, it's the people over next door, they're having a party. Oh, and they're having a wild time, you can hear them. They're merry. They're having a good time. And you're saying, hey, I wonder what that is all about. Start dreaming about the world. It's you pull, it's you driving with your kids in the car listening to Christ-honoring music, and a guy pulls up next to you with a whole bunch of people in his car, and his music, he's just got it turned up, and they're going crazy. And the kids are over there in the car looking at him. Man, that looks like, that's pretty cool. I know you old people hate when those young guys come in there and it's thumping and bumping and rattling. It's like the mirrors are going to fall off. But you guys were young too, and I've heard stories about you, so. <laughs> but this dreaming about the world goes to the idea of what you look at on TV and what your children look at on the television. You say, oh, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, ah, it's not that big of a deal. It works in your mind. Homosexuality, you see those relationships that they put forth on TV, and it begins to wear on you. I'm telling you, it begins to wear on me. Get rid of it. Don't dream about the world. Don't think about it. If you catch yourself dreaming about the world, stop. Stop. Do not do it. Don't entertain those imaginations. They're not just innocent. They are deadly. We're going to see what happens to this young boy in a minute. So he dreams about the world here, but then he begins to, I believe, doubt the father's goodness, doubt God's goodness, dream about the world. And then it leads to doubting God's goodness. I'm sure that this boy thought in his mind that the father wasn't treating him the way that he should have. Dad wasn't doing right by me. Psalm 73, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there just very briefly. Psalm of Asaph here, and we'll just scan through a few verses here about God's goodness 
and about the wicked and their prosperity. Psalm 73 says, verse number one, truly God is good to Israel, even as such that are of a clean heart. He says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He saw success in the people who were doing evil. Verse four, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm, they're healthy. Verse five, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. They're problem free, living the easy life. Verse seven, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could wish. They have abundance. Verse 10, Therefore, his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. They're prosperous. Verse 12, behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. They are wealthy. And he gets to verse number 17, and he comes to himself, and he says, And I, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou um, catest them down into destruction, how they are brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with tears. What Asaph is saying, he says, I was struggling in my life. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to honor God and I'm trying to serve God and I'm struggling. I'm barely making it. My health is poor. The health of my family is poor. I don't have any money in the bank. I'm living check to check. The wicked people, they're out there. They're living horrible, horrible lives but they're doing great. They've got money in the bank and to spare. They've got an abundance. They're successful. They don't have any problems. Their families are all healthy. What is going on? And it came to him when he realized the eventual end of the wicked. This is the Christian man and wife who love God, but they're not able to have a child. And they think, wow, maybe God's not treating me very good. And then the wicked, they're out there, and they don't even want their kids. And they abort them. Sad. And people begin to doubt, is God good? Is he really good? It's the parents who watch as they lower their little child's casket into the ground. This is not that frilly stuff. This is the serious stuff that people really go on in their lives. It's the person who struggles to let their kids go to a Christian school and pays the money to go. They have about nothing in their bank account and their appliance goes out or their air conditioning goes out and they're like, God, I'm trying to do the right thing. Is God really good? And those thoughts start to come in your mind. It's the, it's the husband or wife who finds out that their spouse has been stepping out on them. And they think, well, man, I've been here faithful at church. I've been trying to do the right thing. Isn't God good? Why would he allow something like that to happen? And those thoughts do play in people's mind. And like Asaph, you might say, well, I know that God is good. I know he is, but I'm having some doubts. And there's people that do struggle like that. He thought, this this young son here, he thought that he knew better than his father. Oh, how many children think they know better than their mom or dad? How many of you in here at one point in time thought you knew more than your mom and dad? You guys are being modest. Man, I know I did. 
You say, well, that's not all in the passage there. I'm not reading that. It's, it's there. <laughs> it's there. I'm a son. I know how I acted to my dad when I thought I knew better and I wanted to do my own thing. Hey, I'm a father. I know that if my son said some of those things, I know I would give him a little pushback. He thought he knew better. Adam and Eve, they doubted God's goodness when God said, hey, you can have any, all these trees in the garden you can eat. You can do whatever you want to do, but this one tree over here, don't touch it. It's forbidden. Don't do it. They began to doubt God's goodness. They thought God was withholding something from them, and they thought, ultimately, that they knew better. They doubted his goodness. In Israel, I like, to, I like the story of the Israelites when in the book of Judges, they did not have a king. They did not have a leader. And the Bible says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And they began to look at the other nations and they began to see how the other nations op- operated and they saw that the other nations had kings and we don't have a king. They began to doubt God's goodness. Why isn't God treating us like the world? They began to question, well, does God really know what he's doing? Our nation is being torn apart. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And they thought that they knew better than what God knew. But the problem wasn't with God's system. It was with God's people. And whenever I start to doubt, is God good? And is his system working out for me? I, don't, I try not to assume that he's wrong. I just automatically assume I'm wrong. When I come to the Bible and I find something that I don't quite like or that I don't quite agree with, I assume that I'm wrong and it's right because I know that God is good. So, so we see that he has dreamed about the world. He doubted God's goodness. Thirdly, he departed from his ways. Departed from his ways. Verse number 13, it says, And not many days after, the young son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. This is where the thoughts become actions. The first two that we looked at, they were just in the mind. But this is where thoughts become actions. Almost all sin is premeditated sin. Have you ever thought about that? Almost all sin is premeditated sin where we have thought about it beforehand and we have made a conscious decision that we are going to go against what God wants us to do. Of course, there are a few times where it's not premeditated and it's just off the fly. But most of the time, it's not. It's something that we've churned about and we've thought about. We've thought about it long before we've done it. Long before the man runs away with another woman, he's thought about it. It wasn't a spur-of-the-moment incident. Long before you put the bottle to your lips, you think about it. Long before you steal from your job or rip somebody off, you thought about it. It was not spur of the moment. And that's exactly what happened with this young man. For many years, I imagine that he dreamed in his mind about what it might be like out there in the world. And I imagine that he thought to himself, I wonder if my dad's not really being fair with me and he's really not treating me very good. And these thoughts continue to churn in his mind. And I'm sure at a young age, 12, 13, 14, 15 and on up, and he's constantly making, uh, thinking about these things in his mind that 
he's not getting all that he's supposed to. The only reason he hasn't done it yet is because he didn't have the opportunity to do it yet. And that's what's the case with many of our young people. The only reason they haven't went off the deep end is because they haven't had the opportunity quite yet. But if they were faced with the opportunity and given the opportunity, they would run right into the world and get it hook, line, and sinker. Not just young people, by the way. Old people, too. Middle-aged people, too. But the opportunity hasn't come yet. I've been thinking about this coronavirus situation that we've had and about how we've been out of church. And one of the first things that I thought was, this is the perfect opportunity for somebody who was on the fringe looking for a way out to slip out and kind of just fade off into the sunset. I don't know if anybody else thought about that, but that's what I thought about. I'm like, I mean, it'd be easy. And the opportunity is there for many people. We're going to see, obviously, how it all plays out. Hope it's not the case with any of our folks here. But it's the opportunity. And you say, well, if I can ever get out of my bus ministry, hey, people, bus workers, it's the time the devil's going to play some of those thoughts in your mind. We're not running the buses right now. Don't entertain those thoughts. Keep doing what God wants you to do. Don't take the opportunity and the temptation that is presented right in front of you. Run from it. Get it out of your mind. Young people have been looking over the fence for many years. Sad. The father, he advised his son, I'm sure. It's not in the verse, but once again, I know it's true. Advise his son, please, son, please don't do this. Please don't leave. Please don't hurt the family name. Please don't do anything that would dishonor God. Do what's right. I'm sure night after night, I'm sure there were fights in the house. I'm sure it was crazy. But the son insisted, Dad, this is what I'm going to do. Dad, this is what I want to do. Dad, this is what I want to do. Man. But there came a time when there was no more arguing. The dad finally had to let him go. There was nothing more that he could do. He had given him the best shot that he possibly could. And some of us, we push against the Holy Spirit, and we push against the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, this is what I want. And he pushes back against us and he says, no, you ought not to do that. And you say, no, this is what I want. And he says, oh, nope, you ought not to do that. And he keeps pushing. And it's this constant battle back and forth. But eventually he lets go and he allows you to go do some of those things. Pastor Lytell talked a couple weeks ago about how sometimes the punishment is God turns you over to it. No doubt that's what happened with this son right here. He was pushing, pushing, pushing. And finally the father said, I can't do anything more. Here's what happened. I'm sure this father raised this boy the right way. I'm sure he advised him. That's not the path to go. You don't live like those people. We've got a higher calling. Some parents, they become distressed and they think it's their fault. Sometimes it is their fault. But a lot of times it's not. Parents have pointed their kids in the right direction. They pointed them on the path that they should do, but their kids choose to go the the wrong way. And parents, sometimes they tend to be overly hard on themselves. Occasionally we'll find out maybe a kid's been cheating in the school, and of course a parent will come in and they'll be all upset. And they're, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. And I say, well, did you tell your kid not to cheat? Well, yeah, I told him not to cheat. Did you tell your kid to be honest? Yes. Did you tell him to do what's right and obey your teacher and obey all commands in the classroom? Yes, I did. Well, that's not on you. 
Sometimes parents think that they have more responsibility about their child's actions than they actually do. God was the best parent that was out there. He had Adam and Eve. What did they choose to do? They were raised in a perfect environment, am I right? But they still chose to go their own way. What about during the time of the millennium? Pastor and I have talked about this before. During the time of the millennium, there's obviously children that are going to be born. And of course, Jesus is ruling and reigning. Wow, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be perfect. The curse of sin is going to be somewhat reversed. It's going to be great. And as these children are getting born, there's going to be some that have grown up in that pretty much perfect environment. But then when the devil's loose, of course, he goes out and he deceives the nations and they jump. They jump on the side with the devil. And they rise up against Jesus. Was it their fault? Was it Jesus' fault? They were raised perfect. No, it wasn't about the parents. It was all about they had their choice. Everybody has a free will. But let me warn you, when you take the world hook, line, and sinker, you dispose of God's blessing, number four. Dispose of God's blessing. Now, there was not immediate regret that this young boy had. Oh, man, he went off. He had a good time. He had a wild ride. (laughs) He wasn't going out there regretting his actions right away. No, he was partying, living it up. Uh, Says later talks about that uh, his, his older brother talked about him going out and wasting his money on harlots, and he was just, just partying, just living it up exactly like he wanted to do. And no, there was not instant regret, but it was somewhat like cotton candy. When I think of sin, I think of cotton candy. You put it in your mouth, and it's so good, but in a second, it's gone. Literally, it's gone. That's what happens. When you marry that girl or guy that's not a Christian, oh, sure, there's not many problems right away, but there will be down the road. That's what happens when you choose money over the things of God. That's what happens when you'd rather be experiencing the thrills of the heathen than being with God's people. That's what what happens when you'd rather be back on the bottle instead of back in church. That's what happens. That's what happens when you'd rather be sleeping in on Sunday morning instead of worshiping and fellowshipping with other people. But hey, here's a warning. Before you step out, whether you're a young person, whether you're an old person, before you go and you step out and do something crazy that you've been thinking about in your mind, that you've been dreaming about, that you've been doubting God's goodness, before you do that, I want you to stop and I want you to find some of the older folks in here. I want you to get with them. I'm serious. Get with them. Talk to them. Ask them about their life choices. And I guarantee you there's folks in here that would tell you not to go down that road and not to go down into this far country that this boy went to. They'll tell you, I've been down that road. There's nothing there. They'll tell you, I've been in the pig pen. We see here in a few verses that that's where the kid ended up, in the pig pen. The father, he had big plans for this son. I'm sure part of the inheritance was probably that this son was going to get some of the land that his father had owned. I'm sure that the father had plans that, yes, my son, he's going to come and he's going to build a house here on part of the property. 
He's going to raise a family, and when I'm gone, someday he's going to give this thing over to his kids. I'm going to give him the family business. It seems like because he had servants that he was a very successful father, but the kids said, no, I reject all of your plans, and I'm going to go after what I want to go to. He lost the blessing of the father. If you only knew what God had in store for you, you wouldn't chase after those things. If you only knew. I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about health. People always love to go to those things. Money, health, prosperous, got an abundance of things, got a big house, a nice car, a lot of friends. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about if you knew what God had eternally for you and the effect by doing his will, what that's going to accomplish for all of eternity, you wouldn't go after those things in a minute. Not in one minute. As we finish up here, parents, don't save your kids from the pig pen. That's a strange thing to think about. Don't save your kids from the pig pen. My short little life, I've seen parents running into the pig pen to save their kids. Don't do it. Don't do it. I've seen people who say, oh, well, my brother, he's down at a a crack house and he's all strung out down there and they drive down there and they go pick him up. Don't pick him up. Leave him there. You keep rescuing him right before they hit rock bottom. I've seen parents who their kids go off the deep end and they just let them right back into the house. They haven't repented. They haven't changed. But they got to their, basically their wits end and they, are coming to mommy and daddy for a safety net. No. But they haven't changed. That's not what happened with this young man right here. Let's read about it. Verse number 15, it says, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swines did eat, and no man gave to him. And when he came to himself, that's the phrase right there, when he came to himself, He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. He says, I'm going to arise. I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Boom, the kid got it. He got it. He had humility, and he had repentance. And that's what God's looking for. If you've been out running around and you're away from God, you can be in this church sitting in here right now in church and holding a King James Bible, red letter edition, as Brother Humpert says. You can be holding a red letter Bible and not be right with God and be running from him today. But it's going to take repentance and humility to get back to restore that relationship with God. That's exactly what it's going to take. So tonight, I want to challenge you. Don't dream about the world. Don't dream about the world. There's got a lot of things that the world has to offer, but they don't compare to the things that God has. Don't doubt God's goodness. When hard times come in your life, know that he has the best interest in mind. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God, and we know, help me out here. All things, there we go. All things work together for good to them that are called, to them that love God according to his purpose. You know the verse better than I do. I don't think that that was on the stack of cards. (laughs) 
It was. That verse right there says it. He's working it together for the good. Hey, by the way, God's looking at a big picture here. So when you have a hard time in your life, you, hey, you get that flat tire. You say, man, God's not really good, man. My budget's pretty tight right now. I got that flat tire. Don't doubt God's goodness. Hey, he may be giving you that flat tire so that you can go there and you can witness to that guy who's there at the, uh, the mechanic that's out there working. I mean, I'm talking about that's how God works. Hey, don't doubt God's goodness when you get diagnosed with some crazy disease. Don't doubt his goodness. He's working all things out for the good and for eternity. Don't doubt, don't dream about the world. Don't doubt his goodness. Don't depart from his ways. Don't let those thoughts become actions. And don't dispose of God's blessing. Don't miss out on what he has for you. I don't want to. Hey, I don't want to end up like that preacher down there working at first watch. I don't want to end up like that kid that was riding in the car coming into Bible study that God had big plans for him, but he missed out on him because he wanted to do his own thing. God is sufficient. Let's pray and we'll be finished. Lord, we're so thankful to be in your house again tonight. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for all those times uh, that you saved me from the evil one. It's only by uh, the grace of God that we're not out there living like the world tonight. May you help us when these... uh, evil thoughts and imaginations and fantasies of the world come into our mind. May you, may you remove them. May you help us not to doubt your goodness. May we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239 239- Thank you and God bless.